Hello and welcome to another interview for my blog and podcast, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching well over 1,000 comedians for nearly 50 years. My guest today is the wonderful Peter Graham. Yeah. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm all right. Sound of one seal clapping. That's always good, isn't it? <laughs> good to see you. Are you all right? I am, yes. I've had a, a bit of a rough ride in the last year with health, but I'm back up and running. So Good. I'm ever so pleased. Good. I really am, because uh, I know I've been, I've been aware of it on social media and... Uh, I felt I felt very sorry for you. So as long as you're okay, that's that's yeah. Fun. No, it's, it's a lot better than could have been expected, and it's Good ruined man. my wife's plans. <laughs> of course. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. And um, the first question I've got for you is: How did you become a comedy promoter uh- in the first place? Not by design at all, really. Um, I, my background, my father's a musician. Yeah. My mother's was a dancer. Um, and uh, funny enough, they met doing the Benny Hill show, long before Benny Hill was a television comedian. Wow. And I grew up, you know, backstage of theatres and television studios. And oh, fantastic. My mother is Noel Gordon, or was Noel Gordon. So I sort of have a bit of pedigree with... Wow around uh well what in those days were variety acts i suppose sure yeah um, you know a lot of those people were uh, you know i've met through my father um and then i ended up you know working professionally as a musician from the age of 14 and within you know show business and i went to what was then middlesex poly uh and one of my tutors was hugh thomas who uh I mean, this sort of covers the first, the inception of the club, really. He he had been doing quite a bit on the folk circuit as a musician, but also doing the, like Mike Harding and all those people and Billy Connolly, increasing amounts of chat and stuff between the songs. Um, and then he'd got involved by having a few goes at the comedy store, as was in the late 70s um, and early 80s. And I mean... I mean, he sold a routine to Alexi. This is, this is that's another story wow. as well, which is very funny because people used to complain that uh, that uh, that Hugh had nicked this routine, whereas in fact it was the other way around. You know, was, anyway. Um, so he he'd done <laughs> wow. the comedy store and enjoyed the whole sort of nascent scene of of the early days of what we now call stand up comedy, but then was alternative cabaret and alternative comedy. Yeah. Um, but wanted to find a venue that could be a bit more sort of supportive and less bare pity, you know, so, so not so much of a of a um, a trial and being gonged off and rather a, a, an environment where you could be welcomed and, and uh, you could feel safer. Let's put it that way. So he's a very, very good front man and compare and performer and a charming oh, yeah. guy. You probably know him. But... Um, terrible organizer i mean <laughs> so by the time we got to the interval of his well he by the time he got to the interval of his first show he realized you know he needed somebody to sort of press buttons and organize things and i was one of his students so he asked me to do that and that's what i did we just uh 
helped on the practical side and sold it and, you know, ran the PA. And, and in fact, you know, I used to pack up the PA on a Friday and take it down to Ivor's club at the Red Rose and run the sound for him. You know, it was just a small wow. scene. Then, you know. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. What a, what a, what a wonderful career because, um, uh, when you mentioned Benny Hill at the start, I start with your answer. Um, he, there is a section in my blog called The Ones That Got Away, and he was one of them. I've seen lots of plays about him and, and read his, read his um, biography, but I never got to see him live. I bet he, I bet he was something else live because he was, he was apparently, popular. according, I mean, I never saw him live. Obviously, I was too young, really. Or yeah. if I did, I didn't, I don't remember it. But prior to his TV career, he was, doing sort of solo sketches and monologues, which, you know, became things like the great, uh, the fastest milkman in the West. Yeah, songs. But yeah. a, 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 a terrible with, uh, a, could not come off script, would not be d- able to deal with an audience, <laughs> any heckle or anything like that. So mm-hmm. Glasgow Empire was off the, uh, off the menu. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, a very shy man. I, I remember meeting him, before not not long before he died and he had a a flat just near Hyde Park and he lived there on his own and had two huge television screens and tons of videos of uh, varying types of entertainment let's put it that way <laughs> um, but I think he was very shy with women which is yeah. interesting as you know exactly, given the, yeah. all, all the the sort of output that he did, which the Americans love. Yeah, yeah. The f- the first ever um, uh, comedian I ever saw live was 1977 on Family Holiday, and it was Les Dawson, yeah. and he he was incredible at, yeah. at Scarborough. And then and then a year later, we saw Tommy Cooper, and I got the bug for it. And um, well, I was working with Tommy Cooper the night before he died. Oh, mate! Oh, and what? What? And uh, or maybe two or three nights before, he was doing a warm up for that show, His Majesty, uh, Her Majesty's. Yeah. And um, he collapsed that night as well. Oh dear! And his doctor was, uh, you know, his his son was there, and his other half, let's put it that way, at the time, mm. and they were saying. Tommy, don't do Sunday night. You know, you're, you're not well. And he um, said, I have to, you know, I have to do it. Says, What's that thing he said? You know, it's not, it's not a principle, it's the money. <laughs> <laughs> when when we saw him, the curtains opened and there was nothing on stage but a bed and he was yeah. lying on it. And this one woman paid with laughter and it just trickled round and he hadn't yeah. done a thing. And he popped his head up, perfect timing, and he just went, what, has somebody come on? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, I mean, he famously did all those intros off stage. Yeah. You know, and also, there's a line I use, and I don't know whether I heard it or whether I came up with it. <laughs> um, there's no middle ground with Tommy Cooper. Nobody yeah. says he's all right. You either love him or you don't get him at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's always a, a sort of, a marker for me if somebody says, uh, no, don't don't like him, then I think you're not my type. <laughs> <laughs> Too right, my friend. I totally yeah. agree. Uh, there is there is a level, there's another level where there is the hat or there's the twiddle of the glasses that Eric Morgan yeah. had. They would walk on and not do anything and would be hilarious. The 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 reason why my blog 
exists is because of Markham and Wise. They were, they were the earliest memory I had of the entire family watching them and uh-huh. crying with laughter at both of them. One needed the other. They well, were, I, they were I, but, but this, it's really interesting that because I mean, they, they worked from childhood together um, yeah. and, yeah. Uh, and, and those, that ability to get a laugh with a, with that or from whatever was from 35, 40 years of experience. And yet, and this is one of the things I tell younger comics who think they've cracked it after three good gigs where they weren't, you know, booed off. (laughs) And they say, I've done it now. I tell them the story. I remember um, Ernie Wise coming round to our house once in the summer. It was was a nice sunny day. He'd come round just just to have a tea or something, I think, because he was living in Maidenhead then. I grew up near Oxford, in Oxfordshire. And, um, uh, And my dad said to him, uh, how are you doing? He said, they'd done a, a, a show the night before. And he said, oh, Christ, we did Sheffield last night. Died the death. And that was during the time when they were getting 20 million every wow. every weekend. And they still, you know, you still get a bad gig. It's this um, ability to perform and wanting to be better every time you go on. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think that's sadly what certainly what killed Eric Morecambe because he was always going for the laugh. He had the heart problems and all the rest of it, yeah. but he would never. He would famously um, always try and better himself because each Christmas certainly, and Eddie Braben, the writer, yeah. would get so stressed out trying to top the last show. Yeah. It was it, it it was an extraordinary legacy that they've left behind. But But Johnny Johnny Ammons, you know, the producer who yeah, was with them for yeah. so many years, you know, he said it was a the reason it was the same thing. They were always trying to do the best they possibly could and they rehearsed yeah. and rehearsed and rehearsed, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think some of their guests were surprised at how hard they worked, you know. Yeah. Thinking they'd just come in and do a few funny gags and get off and realizing they're in in the rehearsal studio for four hours, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Extraordinary. So um, there you are promoting uh, clubs and, and whatnot. Um, how did um, Downstairs at the King's Head start? Cause, cause well, that, you... that was what it was, was Hugh put a show on there. He'd found this yeah. room in Crouch End to do, yeah. uh, you know, found the room that he thought would work well as a sort of jazz dive, a bit smoky and, a you know, feeling a bit dodgy. And uh, realised, so we just did occasional shows from sort of 81, 82. Then in 83, we started doing things regularly on a Sunday. And then we started to build up stuff. And in 1985 or 86, the brewery, partly because they realised that they had something on their hands there and we were running it well, um, agreed to to re um jig the room and we had a big refurbishment. Yeah. Which point they agreed with me that I could sort of program and use the room seven days a week. Which at that point I was putting a lot of jazz and other stuff in. The comedy was running three nights a week really. Our big night was Sundays. That's when we started. Yeah. And then it just developed from there really. Um what, what sort of other stuff. was this? Say again, sorry. Sorry, sorry, what sort of year was this that it started? Well, that's why I say it's all a bit misty. I mean, we think, <laughs> we think, we sort of now think we re- we really started properly regularly in 83, doing right. stuff on a, on, a, on a weekly basis. 
Um, even though we'd done occasional things in a, you know, in the two years prior to that. Yeah. So in a way, this is our 40th year, sort of. But then we had COVID, so I don't count those. In the same way, I don't count them to my age. I've taken (laughs) two years off my age. (laughs) And it's it's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, congratulations. It, well, thank you, and and I'm I'm, not, I'm saying saying this without uh, any um, humility at all. <laughs> uh, it's the same as the Morgan Wise thing. You you always try and keep the standards up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. not about money, you know. Yeah. And even though we've we've all made some out of it, we yeah. you know it's, yeah. anybody will tell you there's not nobody does that gig for money, you know. Well, my. Um... I I first came down to London in about 1988 and my brother was here before me and I would go and stay with him in Stoke Newington. And uh, one of the first comedy clubs I ever went to was downstairs at the King's Head. And And I keep going back there whenever I can. I now live south of the river. I've lived in, in Southfields for a good 10 years, but I went back um about two or three years ago for a couple of Edinburgh previews and the standard was extraordinary it was Ed Byrne it was um Perry Marks and it was Arthur Smith and uh the the three of them were phenomenal it was packed out it's a wonderful club and I've got so many great memories there uh well, so c- congratulations again well, thank you I, I mean, at, time of, of at time of recording of this uh Joe Bohr has just made a, a sort of feature-length documentary about yeah. the history of the club, um, and I do recommend seeking that out. It's probably going to be streamed for free at some point, but he'll try and make a few bob out of it first. <laughs> that's that's brilliant. I have I have read about that, and I, and I was going to ask you about that. How did that come about? Well, Joe asked just asked me if he could do it, and and I think he was. Initially, just looking at doing sort of a short, a seven, yeah. eleven minute, fifteen minute thing, and he was doing um, talking headshots with performers who've been there and people sharing stories. And you realise what a footprint we have, yeah. <laughs> you know, down in Very terms of so. as a as a point that you move through on your way up. And then you come back twice on your way down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one one of the wonderful things about this about my blog, it's I find I think it's very unique because um, nobody can be bothered to write about their experiences of watching comedians. But what it also is is it lists every single uh, venue I've seen an act in, and it's wonderful watching them develop. Yeah. And one of my favourite stories was when I first saw Harry Hill and he was downstairs at the King's Head. This was 30 years ago. And he brushed past me and he jumped up onto the stage and he said, he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm really sorry I'm late. I had to have a testicle brought down. And he got a laugh. And then, it's, and then he said from Derby and got a bigger <laughs> laugh. And when I met him about two years ago, I, I mentioned this story and he went, yes, Rich, he said, I still use that routine to this day. And the wonderful thing about him is that he's done everything. He's been on TV, he's played the arenas and he's back in the clubs, which is yeah. lovely to see. Did you see him as, 
Did you see him when he was Butrus Butrus Gali? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. But no, did you know the thing about the shirt as well? The, yeah. the, the big collars is is that he you could see what he would I mean, I watched him over and over again on the th- the Thursdays. We do this tryout night on the Thursdays. You could see he was trying to get something with the non secretaries and the sort of sentences that came from nowhere. And it just it, it, and it was the same with the Eddie Izzard. You could see yeah. There was something there, and they had to find it. And <laughs> and Harry found it when he got the suit. Yeah, you know, and when he got the collar, he knew neat thing, and, that's and then it. he knew that 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 then informed the Harry Hill character. Mm. And it's a character. Harry Hill is a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. Another another great memory is a friend of mine who never really laughs. Uh, we very early on we went to see at downstairs King's Head Jeff Green. God bless him. I know he's gone to Australia now, but um, he was phenomenally funny. And I've never seen my friend literally cry with laughter at some of his routines. Uh, and that's the magic, I, I'm guessing, of running a comedy club. Because every act that you book, you you must be looking for originality or they've got to be funny or, or whatever it is that when whatever you do you you seem to have amazing bills which as you say uh, keeping the high standards it's it's wonderful to go and watch yeah but that's listen this is something this is i i, I rarely talk about this so I, i'm going to say it now and you can have the first chops on this it's about curating right and it's what few people do now because uh, I, I, you, you may have heard my sort of old-fashionedness about preferring to do the booking by phone. Yeah. Um, and that's because uh, I haven't done what a lot of people do now, is we just put a load of dates out on the internet, people fill in the gaps. That's not curation. That's just somebody saying there are three slots to be, to be had on this night. Um, I think okay. about the bills, and it, even though it might be, you know, three men uh, in their 40s, they'll all be three very different styles. Um, uh, You have have to think about what you're putting out there. And I'm very careful with the compares. You talk about the big laughs in that room. The room, although it sort of, it works in spite of itself, but the one big thing of of it, it, it is the low ceiling, which always helps comedy clubs. Um, so a big laugh is always going to be amplified in there. Um, but it's also the fact that most acts that you will see there will have, before they've got paid work there, will have spent three, maybe four times on that carpet of broken dreams. And uh, uh, and they will be comfortable. And I don't move people on until I feel that they can enjoy their 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and and the audiences can feel comfortable and I can feel comfortable and everybody has a good time. I'm mm-hmm. careful I have on the door. You know, everything goes to, to and careful who I have comparing, everything goes, some thought goes into it, you know. Oh, and of you'll course. find all the, all the good clubs in the no same. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Very much so. Um, I've very recently, this, this podcast's been recorded in February 23. I, I recently went to the Stand-Up Comedy Archive at the University of Kent. Good where, God, Dull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where you've submitted some amazing <laughs> material, because I had a look at it. <laughs> yeah. 
you must have some great memories of comedians appearing at downstairs at the King's Head over the years. Oh, you must have some extraordinary of memories. Of course. You... I mean, if I could remember. But, uh, <laughs> um, yes, of course. And, and uh, yeah. no doubt you will, like a lot of interviewers, ask me who my favourites are, which is, you know, it's, it's a difficult question to answer. But, uh, yes, yeah. I, I can remember all sorts of funny things happening and, uh, uh, some things come up recently. A, a film, you know, um, people have been talking about. I, mean, I remember with watching another name that you will know, but a lot of people won't remember is Kevin McAleer. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Oh, you know, uh, I, yeah. long after he'd gone back to Ireland, and not that long ago, probably ten years ago, he came and did a warm up for something. I don't know whether it was a one off or whatever, because he lives in Donegal or yeah, Trim somewhere. Um, and Stuart in Lee insisted on supporting him because he's a great fan. And we watched as um, as Kevin just stood static at a mic for telling this really complicated story, which was just like a short story, for about 35, 40 minutes. And occasionally he'd turn to one side and occasionally he'd turn the other way. And it wasn't going anywhere it just seemed like a, a, a novella and then suddenly he said something that brought five six elements together in a biggest laugh you've ever heard that lasted right. for about 45 seconds and I lost Stuart I'd lost where he was and he was on the ground and he couldn't get up because it was so beautifully constructed and Stuart's such a you know you know a lover of of proper comedic construction you know it was really one of those did. moments. And then I've seen the other side of that with Andrew Bailey. Yeah. Where I've seen a room on the floor hurting from laughter, about 70 people on the floor not being able to get up and people going, stop, you know, it's, now this is hurting. <laughs> and it was almost frightening. I watched this with Hugh and we talked about it afterwards. We thought, you know, this is how political movement stuff. Yes, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, it was it was frightening to see the hysteria in that room. Yeah. Was, and, and it always makes me curious because that is the holy grail for a comic is to have a hysterical room. Yeah. And if you ever see a proper hysterical room, that's frightening. I mean, it really was. It was that's extraordinary. I am I'm, I'm currently reading um, Stuart Lee's book about being a stand-up comedian. And what is fascinating in the book is, like Kevin McAleer's, uh, McAleer's another one, um, there, are, there, there, there are a group of comedians who just seem to take a word or take a sentence and can run and run and run. And it's like an analysis of that sentence. And it's like, you, you you keep adding a funny line to the routine and I can't laugh anymore at this and the delivery yep. is perfect and it's so true what you were saying and 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 he's such a he's such a a, a great deliverer of a joke Stuart Lee and Kevin McNutt. Um, well, but Kevin had already sort of aced that yeah uh, by with his owl slideshow yeah <laughs> because that yes. he would just come out with a pointer <laughs> I and love I, I love the bizarre. Just, and you just show a pic. You should have a, a picture, a slide of an owl would come up. And you just show it, and then he'd get the next slide up and he'd show that. 
and the house <laughs> would fall apart. He didn't say anything. Just show pictures <laughs> of owls. Another another wonderful thing I like I like about it's uh, 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 about the club is that um, there are so many comedians who reach a certain level from me watching them, and I'm thinking of people like Boothby Graffo, who uh, should be a lot better, a, a lot more popular yeah. than they are, but that they've, they've either realised that this is as good as it's going to be or this is as far as I want to go, and therefore they will consistently headline the yeah. king, somewhere like the king's head and that's that's fascinating because um if they're on a bill certainly if i'm i'm looking through all the listings and everything if somebody like him is on i know i'm going to have a good time but he 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 always comes from left field and i love that yeah. i love that in a in 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 a comedian it's not just standing up and telling jokes you know there's something there's oh, he's, Stuart he's Lee Booth. Oh, I mean, the other thing with Booth is a good example, and that you could say this to a lot of people's careers, is that um, he, you know, there was a period where he was um, being fated and uh, had a thing happening in the States. Yeah. So he sort of went out to become successful abroad, comes back, and he's lost the knowledge. You know, the, there's people, you get, a, you get a ride, you know, if you're you can either ride it and the agents push you through it the same, or you can stay at a level, even yeah. though you are a great, you know, an absolutely bankable act. You know, and I would more often than not book a bankable act because I know that um, they will contribute to the evening. My audiences are going to enjoy them, even though they don't, never heard of the name. And, yeah, uh, yeah, fascinating. Um, Boothby's done this podcast, very kindly done this podcast, and he's one of the first to do it. And what I love about him is his couldn't care less attitude. <laughs> and when we when we first started recording, uh, we were all getting ready for it. He 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 had his cameras walking through his house, say hello to the wife, say hello to the dog, yeah. say hello to the kids, and just sat down and just went right. What is this? <laughs> no planning at all, and we were away. We had a wonderful chat. He's a he's a, he's a, he's a great man. There's so many though that uh, that have, have graced your comedy club of 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 the years. They really have. Um, I've just realised just by uh, fidgeting just now. Yeah. That, uh, I'd like to say those are my wife's pants, but they're probably not behind me. <laughs> <laughs> I just okay, realised. Thank you. I, That's fine. As Boothby, I haven't realised. I haven't thought about. I haven't thought this through. As long, really. as, long as you are okay with it, that's fine. <laughs> um, you mentioned before about um, doing telephone bookings for comedians, which I think is wonderful. Um, well, like, there's another reason for that. It, yeah. Is, uh, that feed into your question it, it, is that it's nine to eleven weekday mornings. Yeah. Um, and a load of people say, what? I don't get up till 12. And I say, well, you know, if you want to do better in this business, you're going to have to be up and you're yeah. going to be writing and you're going to be working. It's just yeah. a hobby if you want to do it. You know, so many people have sort of come back to me afterwards and said, you're right, you know. <laughs> it, you're right. You exactly. to, there's that it, point it, where you say, 
This yeah. is serious now. Yeah, it's you know. a career, or, or it could be a career for them. Um, just following on from that, um, do you have any ways of promoting the, the club downstairs, the King's Head? Do you do you put posters up? Do you put adverts in the papers or anything like we that? We have um, one flyer which we've used since 1982, which is just passed around. <laughs> You're not kidding, are you? No, uh, no I mean, it, it, it's changed. You know, originally, yes, you'd have flyers. You'd be, you know, I mean, even, not that I could say we ever did it, um, you know, fly posting, things like that. Um, now it's, you know, it, it's, there's all sorts of social media. There's very little point, even though it's the preeminent thing now of mm. us doing something like TikTok, because it's, you know, what we would be using that four would be not visual unless I jump up and down saying who's on. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, it's word of mouth. That's the bottom yeah. line. Because longevity will give you that if you keep the standard up. Yeah, but yeah. but um, I, as having said that, I make sure all the listings go into wherever they they should be. I I make sure that all our uh websites are up to date up to the minute you know the moment somebody pulls out i mean i've got i've got a piece of software that the moment anything changes in my diary it's updated on the website so that happens within seconds you know that's brilliant um which means that all our information is always up to the minute you know who you're going to see i've whenever i've gone i've always had a wonderful night i've always thoroughly enjoyed we've asked you to leave so many times richard (laughs) well i'm moving on to this question because how do you cope with any difficult audiences if you get it's rare it's rare and i tell you why because i have a regular and long suffering let's put it that way door staff right learn very quickly how to spot trouble coming down the stairs right so we can normally stop it at the door before they're in. Yeah, yeah. Um, if there is a problem, I tend to use now uh, almost exclusively female staff. Right. Um, which, given that most of the time, are most of the current problems are from women. Right. Um, who've had a few too many Proseccos that they're not used to. And they're not young either, usually yeah, they're yeah. middle-aged, and yeah. they can be very um, uh, loath to leave, let's put it yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And when it's much that? easier for me to have female staff deal with that than me, for obvious right. reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, partly because I'm totally irresponsible. But, um, <laughs> I don't. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, don't, we don't tend to get problems. We, we never, I w- and the moment I have to use this, I will, not, I will stop doing it. Never had to use security. Right. Never had to have any security on the door. It's right. Something we could do. I said. I mean, I've had knives pulled on me, and I've had some pretty nasty situations. Right. But yeah. that's you know used to be part of the course. It's yeah, yeah. Less so now. You know. I think. I think. Um, whenever. Whenever I go, um, because I've got this loud laugh, and and I have this enthusiasm and passion for it. We're not there to hear. The members of the audience heckle. We're here to hear, obviously hear the comedians. Um, but uh, it's very rare nowadays that um, that the heckles take place. But there was there was one infamous uh, 
one where I was in the crowd where um, it was it was at headliners and it was Ricky Grover and he was on stage and he did his he was doing his routine and there was a really drunk and not very pleasant member of the audience and he stopped his act jumped down threw him out and then came back on to the Rocky theme because he used <laughs> to be a boxer and the whole place was. <laughs> And he just uplifted his comedy. It was inspired. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I've know, never forgotten that. <laughs> but that, you know, those those people people who think it's about them yeah. can ruin a night. Exactly. Um, I mean, in a small venue like ours, yeah, there's a lot of self policing going on with audience members shushing. Sure. And if people don't take notice of that, then you know they're a problem, and you just have to get them out. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a. I have a a. A trick, which is because uh, people are mostly drunk or yeah. on something. So I use a bamboozling technique, which is I will say you can either leave with your money or without it. And they go because they're drunk. They go, oh, I'll have my money. So at which point <laughs> you've made a contract. You give them their seven quid back and you turn to off. Yeah, you know? um, you're right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and they they don't they don't think of the third option, which is to stay. <laughs> you know, that's inspired. <laughs> um, what ambitions do you have, if any, as a promoter? Do you have any more ambitions? Not not really. I, mm. I mean, I, I don't intend retiring as such. Um, that's the most important thing. night for me at the King's Head is the Thursday nights where we see 14 or so acts doing five minutes. And yeah. that is how we don't stagnate. We just move people up into the regular shows, the paid shows. Yeah, yeah. And it's an important platform to develop your own act. Um, and I still get uh, – that still interests me to watch people – you know, getting better. Um, very, so and a, very few people yeah. offer that chance now because you, you there's a whole sort of circuit of playing to each other. Um, you know, in try, uh, new material and tryout nights around around the country, but very little chance of progression. You know, yeah, yeah. And people like Don and whatever will watch you at the store and move you up when when you feel you're ready. And, and yeah, all yeah. good clubs should do that as well. It's yeah. interesting, and you know. This circuit sort of reflects the American circuit, but 15 years behind. Yes. Yeah. So we are now getting to that stage where 15 years ago, the, the American circuit was starting to just have those those gigs where just people, acts play to each other. And you just think, what, what are you, what's the point in this? You know, uh, <laughs> nobody's laughing. There's just, it's just hate <laughs> in that room. And... The, I think it's a different thing if you have your own club and you want to compare it and develop your own material and learn the trade by running a gig that audiences like. But yeah. there's so many gigs that are, are sort of, uh, well, nepotistic, really. It's just it's just for each other rather than for anything outside of it. Yes, yes, I agree with that. I've, I've, I've been to many a night where it's a um, new comedy night and uh, friends of mine who wanted to be comedians have got up and done five minutes and they've had to take a friend. The rule was that you take a friend. So I would go along 
and I would laugh in all the right places because I've heard the routine so many times. And then they'd think, oh, my God, that's daunting, and either not do it again or keep doing it. And a few of them have come through. But yeah. I, can, I, I can just seem to tell, having watched so many over the years. You know, don't, if you well, here's another bit of advice: if you're a if you're a comic, don't go to bring a night. You know, no. I mean, because you won't learn anything. No. And and they often ask me, is it a bring a night? Saying absolutely not. Don't bring any friends. Yeah. Um, because you won't learn anything. Yeah, yeah. They'll yeah. tell you when you. They'll tell you you're good when you're not. <laughs> and, exactly. Um, you know, this the only way to find out is doing your material to strangers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very good advice. Very good advice. Um, to date, what has been your comedy highlight? <laughs> have you have you got one? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, yeah, the only <laughs> thing that I think I can say with great pride to a, a lot of people, and they'll have heard me say it repeatedly, no doubt, is that uh, uh, through Ronnie Golden uh, and a few others, I, I've got to know Barry Cryer quite well. And uh, funny enough, of course, I'd met him when I was younger. I'd forgotten about all this, you know, yeah. from a different <laughs> lifetime, as it were. But um, so I, I think what makes me proud in my little, sitting in my little booth in the um, the King's Head and whatever, is that when Barry was writing new material, he would ring me up to check if I, if anybody was doing these jokes. Wow. Because he knows that I have a good memory yeah. for all jokes. You know, I know I, if I see it, if I smell anybody doing anybody else's material, I know it. You know, it might not remember who exactly the material was, but I know it's not theirs. Yeah. So Barry would often ring me and say, is anybody doing anything on baby pigeons? You know, That's <laughs> or, fantastic. or whatever. And um, and obviously, you know, we'd share a lot of jokes. Yeah. As a musician, you know, one of the uh, it's an old adage that, you know, if you're on the boats or in the theatres as a comic, if you could make the band laugh, you were doing well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, musicians do have a good memory for good jokes, I think. So that that is wonderful because. Um, Kevin Day, a comedian, did one of these podcasts for me and we got on to chatting about Barry Cryer. And he said, well, he said, get him on your blog. He said, yeah. I said, well, it would be amazing. And uh, I did. Um, uh, uh, he, he gave me his telephone number. I had to ring him. And he, went, and he went, hello, is that Richard? I'm like, hello, is that Mr. Cryer? He said, yes, I'm just reading your blog at the moment. I'm, it's fantastic. It's really yeah. good. And um, uh, he's, they set it all up. And, and the son uh, was there with all the working out all the computers yeah. and just left him yeah. sitting there. And God bless him, I got an hour out of him. He was just phenomenal for the people who he's written for. Yeah. And then after it, uh, I had a very nice message from the son, sadly, when he passed on, yeah. saying I was probably the last person to interview him about his comedy career, which is just incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah. his his last gig was due to be in my village hall. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And he rang me up and said, uh, I, I think I'll be all right for it. And I could hear he wasn't well. Oh, and... Um, yeah, very, an, very an extremely generous man and generous yeah. to the next generation. When yeah. a lot of his colleagues was, were very dismissive and bitter that they'd lost the Saturday night slots. But he said, listen, it's each generation finds its own funny and it's just about evolving and not becoming a dinosaur, you know, which he very did, much, you know. very much so. The, 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 
the amount of comedians he knew uh, that were really modern was extraordinary. He, he, he well, just had a it's because he embraced brain. them, and and yeah. and he yeah. he he gave probably the the most generous thing he he gave was his laughter. Yeah, to yeah. young comics. Yeah, and they would tell him a joke which he had probably written. <laughs> And uh, um, and he would give them the biggest laugh and you'd walk away from meeting him and thinking, you know, I'm on my way. You know, I've, I'm... because he knew what that meant. You know, I, and he, I... he, funny enough, he used to write for, for um, Eric and Ernie. He did. With John Junkin. He did, he did. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, Les Dawson and Ken yeah. Doddy wrote for and Frankie Howard. And... Well, you'd, any any <laughs> show, in any night entertainment in the 70s, you'd yeah. run a roll down Problem. at the end of the credits and he's, you'd always be there. And Ali Bongo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Magic advisor. Yeah. We used to go and see him all the time, him and Ronnie Golden, who's done the podcast as well. Um, uh, we used to go and see both of them at Edinburgh. And when my dad sadly passed away in 2013, he, he died in the April, and we and we uh, I met Barry Cryer in the August. I've never had a picture with him, but I met him, and I said, uh, when my dad sadly passed away, I was the last person to see him, and and, and ran in and and uh, held his hand, and all I got out of him was, "Tell me the joke," and it was a Barry Cryer <laughs> joke, and Barry Cryer looked at me and he grinned and he shook my hand and he went. Um, I'm so sorry about your father's passing, but I'm so glad my jokes travel. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never forgotten that. And yeah. when when I interviewed him, I said to him, I said, it's such an honour to have you on here. Um, I'm such a big fan of yours. And he kept saying, oh, you're the one. <laughs> and he kept throwing in. Yeah, it was wonderful to the Never end. Off. And that's, that, that's a wonderful answer. I'm so pleased you knew him. Yeah. Um, how have you found any online gigs as opposed to live no, shows? Have you done any of them? No. No. No, no. no. You just think it just wouldn't work? No. In the same way that it's very difficult to film stand-up or put it on television. Yeah. It's yeah. about being in the room in the, at the yeah. same time. Yeah. You know, I, when it started, I, I just kept thinking of that attempt that had happened in Live Aid to try and do stuff between New York and, and London. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Doesn't Any work. gap. <laughs> um, and I know people needed to make money, and I know that uh, people were very generous in paying to watch online, but I had no interest in watching or promoting. And, you know, it was. I just think it's a different animal. And, and, yeah. and if you're going to do it, you do it differently, you know. It was, it was very interesting because um, – Certainly during lockdown, it was better than nothing, should we say. But when they first started doing them, I used to go to Sean James Happy Mondays gig online. I used to go to Always Be Comedy online, and I used to go to Charlotte Regan's Irishman Abroad. On so it was you then? So it was me sitting there. <laughs> but, 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 uh, but at the start of it, um, uh, um, there was no audio. So, so I used to sit here and laugh like a drain, but they couldn't hear me. And I thought I was going to, the people banging on the walls, I thought I was going to be taken away. But when they brought the audio in, they could time the jokes, they could chat yeah. to the audience, but it wasn't live. And I I, thank God it came back because there's nothing better than to meet up with a few friends, go for something to eat and then have a few beers and sit in a live audience 
with and just think, right, entertain me because it's of the moment, as you say, and the comedians walk on, anything can happen. And that's extraordinary. That's the magic of it. It really is. That's the same as being in a. It's why you go and watch live sport with a yeah. lot of people, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's a communal event. It's something that is a shared experience, which is yeah. the line that is always used with theatre. I mean, that's what makes it different from from this, you know, flat yeah. screens and yeah. and a, there's an immediate distance. I mean, I have a something I tell acts off for a lot when they're starting out is reading, you know, unless it's bringing anything to the gag. The moment you do that, we've lost your face. Yeah. You know, and the focus isn't there. And it's about yeah. contact. It's about sharing, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, I I totally agree with that. As soon as they start doing that with notes on the hands, it's like, learn it. Yeah. <laughs> it needs yeah. to be spontaneous, you know. But uh, anyway, it, it's 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 all experience. Um I've I've been watching stand-up comedy for most of my life. How do you think comedy has evolved over the last fifty years? Big question. I don't. I mean, I don't. The the, the shows have evolved um, since when we started. I mean, when, as you probably remember, in the late seventies, early eighties, there were a smattering of clubs and a smattering of gigs. You know, there yeah. wasn't much work. To, People were work coming off working the Covent Garden Street acts. People were coming from music and folk. It was a real mishmash. And an early bill at the King's Head would not um, offer more than two comics on the bill. You'd have a special act, which might be something like Earl Oakin, or it might be a juggler off the street or whatever. And we'd certainly have a straight music act. And our audience would quite happily listen to 15, 20 minutes of good music. Know, and not say where's my laugh yeah and i think that the shows changed as time out and city limits changed their listing from alternative cabaret to comedy then the onus for a punter was i'm going to a comedy night yeah. and um so you would now get bills that were much more just pure comedy focused i mean i remember i helped set up um you know, helped richard set up kilkenny Cat's Laughs Festival, and he right. was interested in Richard Cook. This was, and he was really interested in in comedy as a very pure form of theatrical storytelling. He didn't like uh, prop acts, music acts. He just liked one person telling stories, you know, as a very pure form of theatre, which must go right back to cave cave days, you know, yeah. and making it humorous. How Ugg got killed by the mammoth, you know, but the. So I don't think comedy changes, but I think the context in which it operates does. So, you know, right in the 50s, you'd be part of a, a, a big bill on a variety and you'd have front cloth acts and high hierarchy. Now, that's been replicated in a lot of clubs now. So you'll get people who are lower down the bill. You know, they might not start the show, though. They might be in the middle of the show. And that might be yeah. a safer place to put them. Um, I still operate on the basis that everybody gets the same money. Everybody gets the same time. And they've all got to be there. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't gradate anybody's pay. Everybody gets the same. Even on the, if you're Joe Brand next to Richard Gill's first gig, if you're, you know, you will get the same money. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, that's the old sort of, that's a legacy of the old socialist side of this, this circuit. You know, good man. So the clubs yeah. have changed, and I think 
you know, we've watched the Americans. That's informed the style of it. I think we're now entering another phase, which is uh, bespoke comedy for bespoke audiences. Uh, uh, people who are, you know would really struggle on a tough Tuesday night in Rumford and wouldn't, you know, enjoy being at the end of that audience, but uh, but can also fill out a hundred seats on a Tuesday night somewhere else, doing their own thing to their own friends. Yeah. But I, you know, I see. I think part of the job of a good, you know, you don't really want a, a builder who says, "Oh, well, I can only do that sort of wall." You know, I think you want you want a comic who can actually turn up and read the room. Uh, and you, you're saying about you know being in the room with 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 you know the the feel of a room with a good show happening. Yeah, I mean, every one of those comics, if they're you know working regularly, will probably at, the, at any one time be doing the same set um, at that time in their lives. So. On Tuesday, they'll do basically the same set as they'll do on Thursday, if yeah. it's a 20-minute slot. But the audience and the feel and the ambience will be different. The speed at which you do the, the thing, even though you're using the same words. Now, a good comic will make that work. And that's where the Americans are very good. They can make they can make it look as though it's fresh each time. The English, you can see the dead eyes behind it. <laughs> <laughs> Going, oh, God, I've done a... <laughs> But then, you know, there are other acts like Otis Canaloni who, yeah. you know, you know the joke that's coming and it's still, it still yeah. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's Tommy Cooper. So yeah. those are the same techniques just being used differently. So I don't think comedy itself has changed. It's still funny watching Ugg being eaten by the mammoth. But we've just, <laughs> I mean, I love, I, I still think one of the, uh, apparently Groucho Marx was once asked, what's the difference difference between a uh an amateur and a professional comedian and he said well an amateur comic thinks it's funny to get dressed up as an old lady and sit in a wheelchair at the top of a steep hill and have the brakes let off and career <laughs> down and hit a brick wall at the bottom but he said but a professional comedian would only settle for a real old lady <laughs> that's brilliant which is brilliant and true <laughs> So that, nothing's changed there. That's wonderful. I like I like the um, infamous Ken Dodd story about um, he's describing laughter when he tells a joke, and he and he's got laughter, and he describes it coming up through his body and out through his mouth, and it's a big elongated uh, way of describing it. And he and 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 he said Freud said laughter was this and did it all, and 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 this great long sentence. And was getting laughs. And at the end of it, the tagline was, mind you, ladies and gentlemen, Freud never played Glasgow Empire on a Friday night. <laughs> and I think that says it all. You know, I think you're right. I think if you're funny, if you're a comic, and you're you're good at what you do, then it will forever carry on. It's just, as you say, the comedy clubs, I think, have changed. My My first ever bill, when I first came down to London, I went to the comedy store, I went to Jongleurs, and I went to downstairs the King's Head because I lived in Stoke Newington. The comedy store bill had um, Steve Gribbin, um, Richard Morton, Phil Jupiter, and Linda Smith, God bless her. And all those sorts of comedians then are still evolving now. They're yeah. just in 
obviously different form, yeah. but it's the same sort of delivery, the same sort of um, topper of a joke. You know, it's all this similar thing, and I think that's why comedy evolves. But I think where they actually perform it, there's an argument about playing in arenas, there's an argument about playing in comedy clubs, doing five-minute spots, like you said. It's fascinating, and I've seen them all everywhere. I remember when I first saw Peter Kay in Manchester, he was on a bill of five acts, and he was in a little tiny club. And he was so funny, I said to my friend, this guy's going to be a superstar. It was so funny. I was still laughing at the, when the fifth act came on. And about six months later, I had to go to Dave Gorman and apologize because I was laughing last with sense. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's those memories that create. Yeah. Such and a some people comedy. arrive fully formed, you know. Yeah, exactly. I've never seen Mark, yeah. Ma- um, Mark uh, Lamar when he was yeah. quite young at the downstairs and, he hadn't got any material, but he was just so watchable. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, it's, there's... Partly that. it's partly playing the room. It's partly yeah. wanting to watch. It's, that's one of the things I look for on the Thursdays. It's much mm. less listening to material as uh, watching how people work the room. Yeah, and yeah. And whether they have a sort of comic sensibility and a comic rhythm. And yeah. Audiences feel comfortable with that. They spot it as well. You know? Very much so. Um, I am going to ask you what you think is the hardest question probably of this interview. Do you have any particular favourites, favourite comedians, past them? As such, I mean, as you asked earlier, there's lots of times I remember, you know, great nights and great comics, but that can happen to anybody, any time. I mean, recent, I mean, I have to say, because they were taken too soon, you know, Jeremy, Hardy, Sean Locke. Yeah, yeah. And you know Sean Hughes, who went recently as yeah, well. Very they, much so, yeah. And one thing each of them <laughs> shared was the fact they didn't share anything. They were originals. Yeah. And, um, and you know, watching Andrew Bailey or somebody like that doing Podomowski, yeah. which, when it worked, was just the most extraordinary thing. Yeah. Or Chris Lynham. Yeah. You know, I quite like the chaos of, of stuff that just happens. Yeah. But at the same time, I love watching people who have great thought and construction gone into their, their, their comedy, you know, people yeah, like yeah. Emo Phillips who can just, oh, you know, just mm. turn or Steve Wright, you know, the, yeah. the, you know, that, that sort of great skilled writing and, and time. Yeah. So yeah. basically the answer is anybody and everybody except some. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, following on from that, like me, did you or do you go to a lot of comedy gigs as a member of the audience? No, not really. It's a bit of a busman's <laughs> holiday, and uh, I mean, I've I've helped out with, uh, you know, running charity shows at the Palladium or something like that. Yeah. You know, running the show, but you know, my, I see these people in and out. Socially, you know, in the in the sound room or the you know the green room of the King's Head, and a lot of people say, oh, "I'll send you a video to get me booked or come and see me." I live out of town for a start, you know, yeah. as you do. I mean, I live out towards Cambridge. I, right. I don't want to watch bloody comedy. I hate. The- <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got a life as well outside of it. Haven't you? <laughs> I have actually. I mean, I do other things. You know. I, 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 you're, 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 you're doing a, 
me on comedy and I'm known for the comedy at the King's Head. But, yeah. you know, I was and still very occasionally do composition, music composition. Yeah, 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 that's great. And for years I was, you know, working as a jobbing musician, you know, touring and stuff. That's brilliant. So the King's Head has always been rather like my UB40, you know, when I haven't got any other work, I've had that. But I've always, you know, I've always been there every week unless... Yeah. You know, we 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 the only week we shut is between Christmas and New Year. Yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. we're always running. Listen, my friend, it's an extraordinary legacy, the club, and thank you so much for talking to me. It's been a wonderful, wonderful chat, and I'm looking forward to coming to the club again very, very soon. Uh, thank you, and I'm looking forward to the cheque arriving that you promised earlier. <laughs> Well, if only I could. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All the best to you, and thank you so much. Love to all. Cheer up. Thanks now. Bye-bye.